We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 through 25. I might you to turn there in your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 13, 17 through 25. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just grateful for this time uh, to gather together and we thank you that you love us and that you are with us and that you are for us and, and that you keep your promise to always be there. Uh, this is a difficult passage probably for, for many of us uh, in different ways today. Um, and we pray by your spirit that you just soften our hearts, open our hearts to your grace, to your truth, that you would want to speak to us today, that we might grow in you and enjoy you more and find deeper joy in abiding in and with you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You may have a seat. As we look at this passage and zoom in on, on verse 17, there, there are instructions here both for pastors and for the people of the church with the ultimate goal that we would experience joy together in Christ. And toward that end, we're, we're going to look at the nature and danger of pastoral leadership, of the appropriate response of people to their leaders, and finally, how we can pursue joy together. So that's kind of our, our roadmap for today. So first, let's consider the, the nature and danger of pastoral leadership. Let me read again verse 17 for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, before we kind of get into the command given to the people, kind of in relationship to their leaders, I think it's most helpful to talk about what this text has to say about pastoral leadership first. Uh, we should really begin by asking, okay, who are the leaders uh, that are being referred to here? Who are the leaders? And while various churches, some of us come from different kind of church backgrounds that, that kind of have functionally uh, different forms of church polity, that is church governance, how the church is governed and led, uh, and really churches that have very different understandings of ecclesiology, and that's a fancy word for just the doctrine of the church, the theology of the church. Um, different churches have some different approaches to, to polity and ecclesiology, but the New Testament is, is very clear in the way that it presents how the church is to be governed. Right, local churches are to be led by a plurality of elder pastors. 
You look at 1 Timothy 3, uh, Titus chapter 1, you'll find in those, uh, those places qualifications for elders. Uh, it, it should be really noted right off the bat that the, the New Testament uses the titles uh, of elder, pastor, overseer interchangeably. Overseer, of course, is, the, is where we get the title bishop. So, you know, if you're really feeling like you want to, you, you could call me bishop. Uh, it'd feel weird for me probably weird for you too, so we'll, we'll probably just stick with uh, pastor. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, elder, pastor, overseer, there are three titles for one office. Three titles for one office. That's how they're used in the New Testament. Not multiple offices, as the Catholic Church kind of established post uh, the apostolic era, uh, many years post the apostolic era, started instituting bishops over elders in kind of a separate thing. In the Bible, they're the same. Elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, all the same. Same one, three titles for, for one office. And the, the polity structure, the governance structure that the New Testament advocates for is that a local church is led by a plurality of elders or pastors. And those are the terms that we use here at Redeemer. Elders, pastors, and we use them interchangeably. Our elders, our pastors. Our pastors, our elders. Note that verse 17 here says, Obey your leaders. Plural. There's an S in the English, right? It plural. Leaders. That, that, that means there's more than one of them. And so the church is to be governed by a plurality of elder pastors. And so that's our governance structure here at Redeemer. We, we currently have four elder pastors, right? Uh, three of us who work on the staff with the church as well. Uh, Kyle, Jesse, and myself. And then we have one uh, lay pastor, uh, a pastor who works a full-time job elsewhere, but, but serves freely, volunteering his time to serve as a pastor. That's Pastor Chad. And so there's four of us right now. And, and, and we have, you know, within that, like I have a title that, that with my job here that I'm called the, the lead pastor. And, and simply that's kind of taken from some uh, understandings like 1 Timothy 5.17, some of the kind of the stuff with Peter, uh, you see even some evidence of J James, the brother of Jesus, who's kind of the leader of leaders of the, of the pastors at the church in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. There's kind of this understanding in the scriptures of a, a first among equals, right? A leader of leaders. But yet the, there's an emphasis on both, first and equal. Right? So what that means is when it comes time to sit down at the table and decide on something as elders, we all have one vote. Uh, it's not a structure where my vote is like three votes and Kyle, Jesse, and Chad just get like a third of a vote each. Uh, that's not how it works. No, we each get one vote. And what that means is, is that there are times that we have made decisions in the life of this church where I lost. You know, I wanted something different than what we decided on as a, as a group, right? And that's the way it's worked. It's, there's supposed to be some accountability in that, having a plurality of elders to kind of hold each other accountable and, and give wisdom and guidance rather than just leaning on one person to kind of totally steer the ship however they want. Um, the Bible assumes a plurality of local elder pastors governing a local church. But what is the nature of their leadership, the leadership of those pastors? What, what is the role and function of elders? Verse 17 gives us some clear understanding here. That the nature of pastoral leadership is that of soul care. Soul care. For it says, for they are keeping watch over your souls, which for some of us like immediately sounds like, 
what are we doing? They're like, we like stalking you at night and watching your every movement and, and uh, keeping up with all your social media posts. I, Lord, no, I hope not. I, I really, that social media is terrifying, the things that we see from all of us. Uh, you know, right? Like, that's, that's not exactly what it means, but it does mean that we are called to be giving watch, giving care to your soul, Right? that we want you to grow in the knowledge and love of God, that you would find your joy and satisfaction in Jesus, which means we're called to to watch out and care for and direct you toward that in in teaching and in counsel, but to, to love you and encourage you in the ways that you're growing in that, but also at times to confront you and rebuke you when you're drifting or turning away or giving into sin and kind of abandoning that pursuit of Christ. It's all of that. That's the primary role of elders, right? The primary role is not budgets, buildings, and butts and seats that a lot of churches have kind of become, that's what they're about. Business, business, business. What the budget is, the buildings that we can acquire, and how many people can we get in the doors. No, the heart of pastoral ministry is the care of souls. Acts 6.4 says, There, we get the principle that elders are to be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer. That's a primary responsibility, to be devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer, to be devoted to the word of God, abiding in it for themselves, rooted in it for themselves, and teaching from it and and giving it to those that they are caring for, and to be abiding, devoted in prayer for the church, not just on Sunday when we gather but praying daily throughout the week for, for you. Praying for your souls. That you would know and abide in the love and grace of Jesus. Be rooted in him and grow in him and, and, and thrive in him. Another helpful text for understanding kind of pastoral ministry is, is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-3. through 3. Where Peter writes there, he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to, going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And that passage really helps us understand more uh, what this care uh, of souls looks like. It, it looks like a joyful commitment to feed the church with solid, biblically faithful, gospel-centered teaching from the Bible, from God's Word. It involves joyful, personal, pastoral care and shepherding. Right? Life on life care. Walking side by side with the people of the church, pastors are called to. To share their life and invest in the lives of others. To give them care and counsel and, and point them back continually to the hope and, and, and rest and joy that they have in Christ. To walk with you. Share in your joys to share in your struggles, to share in your sorrows, and to 
encourage you to keep following after Christ as we follow him together. And it involves joyful leadership of the church, right? Seeking to lead the church functionally and, and administratively uh, to provide teaching and structures of teaching and care and support to help believers grow in Christ and to help the church reach the unbelievers in the community around the church with the gospel of Christ. Caring for souls involves then feeding, teaching, caring or shepherding, and leading, right? Those kind of three aspects of it. And pastors were told in 1 Peter 5, they are to do this willingly, eagerly. Those are two words that basically are synonymous with doing it joyfully. Doing it joyfully. I mean, who wants to go to the church where the pastor is just a dud all the time? Where there is no life, no joy, just like curmudgeony, grumpy, cranky, yelling. Right? Too many preachers scream at people. Who wants to sit there under that? Pastors are to do their work joyfully, abiding in the joy of knowing Christ themselves and sharing that joy with others. Peter also emphasizes that this work is to, to be done in a way that's not domineering. Not domineering. That's another way of saying that it's not to abuse the position of authority that they have. But sadly, there are pastoral bullies out there who do abuse their authority and their position and in turn abuse their people. Let me give you some signs. And some of you have experienced this. I know because we've talked about it. But let me give you some signs of, of when pastoral abuse is happening. It's abusive when pastors intimidate people into doing what they want them to do by threatening to take away stature or position in the church if they don't comply. Pastors who threaten people with God's judgment when there is no biblical basis or warrant for doing so. Yes, God will judge those who are in sin and not in Christ, but saying that God will judge you because you don't agree with the pastor. Using texts like the Old Testament, right, where it says, you, you can't touch, you shall not touch God's anointed. That is not a text that's speaking about pastors. As if you cannot challenge or question a pastor. That's a misuse of God's word to abuse people and basically say, you got to comply or else. Pastors are people and they're sinful just like you are. I'm sinful just like you are. And there are times where I need to be rebuked and I need to be corrected and I need to be confronted in love just like you do. But it's abusive when, we, when a pastor acts like, no, they don't touch God's anointed. God will judge you for disagreeing or confronting me. Pastors who threaten public exposure of sin if the person won't conform to his will and submit to his plans. Now look, we share things with one another in, in private conversations. And it is an abuse for a pastor to take that information and seek to use it to kind of manipulate or blackmail somebody into doing something by threat of exposing their struggle publicly. 
Pastors who use the sheer force of their personality to overwhelm others and coerce them into the submission. Pastors who present themselves as super spiritual, right? Hey, I, I've spent weeks fasting and praying, and this is the word that the Lord has given me, and therefore you must submit to this. It's not that pastors don't seek the Lord and fast and pray and, and seek to have vision from the Lord for the church that we're leading. But listen, if that vision is not aligned with God's word, it's not infallible. It's, it's not directly from Jesus himself. Like it needs to be checked against the word. It needs to be checked against the Holy Spirit. It needs to be checked by wisdom from community at times. And where it's not al- aligned, it needs to be rebuked and challenged. But for a pastor to basically say, no, the, the Lord gave me this and it cannot be challenged. It's a form of manipulation. Pastors who exploit the natural tendency of, of church members to kind of elevate their, their spiritual leaders in order to expand their power and influence. Pastors that demand a greater loyalty to themselves than to God. They expect the people to be more loyal to their pastor than they are to the Lord himself. Pastors who isolate themselves from community with the church and, and actually have no real accountability within the local congregation. All their accountability is outside with people who aren't present to actually know what's going on in their life. It's a warning sign. Pastors who build a culture of legalism rather than a culture of grace in order to support their own control and power. Pastors who hold back the grace of Jesus from the people and instead put upon them burden and rule and law that they must abide by or else. Pastors who use people as a means to their own satisfaction rather than leading people to find their satisfaction in Christ. We could go on. There are more. But this gives you an understanding. Like These things sadly happen to Often in churches where sinful leaders abuse their position and abuse the authority that that God has given them and entrusted them with for their own advantage. And sadly, some of you have experienced domineering leadership like that. But that's not how pastors are supposed to lead. They're called to care for souls. The language of keeping watch here in Hebrews 13, 17 literally references like staying up, like losing sleep at night because they're so invested in the care of the people they're entrusted to shepherd. Praying for them, caring for them, going to them at all hours of the night. Pastors are to do this joyfully, not under compulsion, but willingly, eagerly, not domineering over others, but joyfully serving and caring for others at their own expense. And Paul constantly introduces himself, slave of Christ, servant of all, right? That, that's the heart of pastoral leadership. And pastors are also to do this work joyfully, but they're also to do it with a heightened sense of accountability. Verse 17, again, as those who will have to give an account. 
Uh, Hebrews 13, 17 for a pastor is a horrifying verse of scripture. And, and I thank God when I read this verse for, for church membership, right? Because without church membership, I don't think I'd ever sleep a night. If I'm responsible to give an account before God for every single human being who ever walked through the doors of this church, whoever attended a single community, community group of this church, whether I met them or not, that's a horrifying prospect. Thankfully, membership is what fences that, right? Membership says these are the people who are truly covenanted to belong here, who, who have submitted to be part of this church under the care of the, the pastors of this church and the people who the pastors are entrusted to care for and shepherd and give their lives to serve. That's what fences it. And that's why we place a high priority on church membership here. Because there needs to be a sense you need to belong somewhere. You need to belong and have leaders who are giving that kind of care for you. And you need to be submitted to, to a healthy church with healthy leaders giving you that sort of care for you, the sake of your joy. And for the sake of, that I could sleep a little bit, right? Um, membership fences that. But pastors are held to a higher level of accountability for their role. That's what this verse is saying. And you see it elsewhere, James 3.1. Not many of you, James says, should, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Pastors like me, like Kyle, like Jesse, like Chad, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And here the Lord asks us, did did you teach the whole counsel of God's word? All of it? Or just the parts of scripture that would make people happy and keep them coming back? Did you speak the truth in love? Or did you abuse those under your care? Did you shy away from controversy and cater to the culture? Did you add to the gospel? Right? You need Jesus and you need to vote this way. Did you add to the gospel? It's a sobering thought to consider for those of us who, who serve in, in this role. And it's a comforting thought for those of us who have suffered under abusive leadership to know God's justice will be served one way or another. And we should pray for repentance and, and true gospel restoration for those pastors who have abused. But we rest knowing that God's justice will be served. Pastors are supposed to care for souls with joy and with a heightened sense of accountability. And while there are pastors who abuse their role and authority and abuse the people under their care, the other side of it is that there are many pastors who just get simply overwhelmed and crushed by the weight of ministry. Uh, we normally have a leadership school each year that runs kind of the academic calendar here. And, and in that what, one session, we, we talk about leadership that lasts, like enduring leadership in the church, because the sad truth is that many pastors do not finish well. Right? And I share these, some of these statistics that I'm going to share with you now that kind of supports this understanding that the role of pastor uh, has some occupational hazards that in many ways seem almost unparalleled in the business and academic world. Right? Over 1,400 Protestant ministers leave their position each month. 
Each month, 1,400 pastors quitting because they're burnt out. 70% of pastors do not have someone whom they consider a close friend. And pastoral ministry can be very lonely because just like pastors might abuse the, the insight they get from you to manipulate you at times, imagine being the pastor and, and opening your heart to someone in the church only to find that used to manipulate you or to expose you, to wound you. It can be really lonely. 25% of pastors will experience a forced termination at least once during their ministerial career, and almost half of them never return to parish ministry. 50% of pastors' marriages end in divorce. 70% of pastors continually battle depression. 80% of pastors and 85% of their spouses feel discouraged in their roles. 80% of seminary graduates will leave full-time ministry within five years. And don't get me started on this, like, Maybe some people don't need to go to seminary. Uh, at least not right away. Maybe you should get an internship and actually do some ministry first to see if it's really the calling that God has given you before you invest a lot of money and trap yourself into a career that you really don't feel called to or find joy in. 50% of pastors, likewise to that, would leave ministry if they had another way of making a living. 40% of pastors have had an extramarital affair since entering ministry. 80% of pastors' wives feel their husbands are overworked. 90% of pastors say they want ongoing outside help for their souls, counseling, care, shepherding from someone else. Right? And those statistics, they, they paint a picture of the danger of pastoral ministry, both for the pastor and his family, but also for the church. What happens to the churches where 40% of the pastors have had an affair? What happens to the churches where abruptly the pastor just preaches a sermon and walks out and quits that Sunday because he's burnt out? What happens? It wounds the whole church. It hurts the whole body. And all this shows us the need for pastors to have accountability within their church, to have real relationships and accountability, especially within the plurality of elders, that they are known and, and knowing each other and, and praying for one another and, and confronting one another's sin. People in the church are, are knowing and, and their pastors are in community with their church, not only outside of it. But it also shows why practices like pastoral sabbaticals every five to seven years are, are vital, not only for the health of the pastor and his family, but also for the health of the church. Because healthy pastors help Help shepherd healthy churches. They go hand in hand. You, you need healthy pastors who can joyfully care for souls, for that's what they're called to do, and that's what the church needs. And with that understanding of the role of pastors, let, let's now consider the, kind of the appropriate response uh, of the people to their leaders. The two words that kind of sum up the response required from the text are obey and submit. Two of no one's favorite words. Uh, no one likes these words, like uh, obey and submit. It's like, uh, no thanks. Uh, the word obey here, though, it really means to trust. To trust, to rely upon. And it's really kind of pointed at the pastor's teaching more than it's the pastor himself. But the teaching, like what the pastor says, what the pastor teaches, what the pastor informs as he preaches and teaches and, and gives counsel to, to those under his care. To trust 
The idea being that members of the church need to listen to their pastors and develop the capacity to trust what they are saying. Now, hear me. This is not calling for a blanket trust of just anything that comes out of my mouth or any other pastor's mouth. It assumes from the context that the pastors are proclaiming God's word faithfully. Proclaiming God's truth faithfully. The primary allegiance of every Christian is to Jesus, the chief shepherd, right? And and to his word, the Bible, the truth that he communicates in his word. That's where our allegiance goes to first. And so any other under shepherd, under authority, under Jesus, that's saying something contrary to Jesus, leading us away from Jesus, encouraging us to sin against Jesus, we don't submit to that. Anywhere the Bible calls you to submit, if you don't submit to sin, because the first allegiance is always to Christ and his word. But wherever those leaders are in step with God's word, obedience, trust, is called for. The problem is that most of us kind of want to set the needle on when and whether to obey or trust or not. Not on whether it's aligned with God's word, but on whether or not it meets my preferences. Right? So if I don't like it, I don't have to obey. I don't have to listen. I don't have to trust. I don't like how you delivered that truth, even though it is true. I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to... I don't have to trust you. But that's not where the needle is set by God and his word. It's set on whether or not it's aligned with God and his word. That's where the needle always is in scripture. And that's a good thing for you. That's a good thing for you. Because your pastors are called to keep watch over your souls. To care for your souls. And to do so rightly, to do that rightly means at times we're going to have to confront you in love. You know why? Because you're a sinner, just like I'm a sinner. And at times I'm going to need to be confronted in love for the sake of my soul. It's a good thing that, that people would love us enough to speak truth into our lives and not just ignore it. We're going to have to lovingly confront one another with the truth of God's word. And, you know, in the moment, it doesn't feel pleasant. But here's the other side. And hopefully many of you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, I hope that you have confronted a brother or sister in Christ in love because you've seen them struggling before. You should be doing that. And if you've done that, you know that sitting on the other side of the table where you're the one who has seen someone who's struggling... That is not a position of joy. Like, I delight to deliver this truth to you and confront you right now. It's not a position of joy, but you do it because you actually care for the person enough to speak truth into their life. It's not reveling, uh, let me put you in your place. That's not what that's about. Hopefully you've done that, and you know that that's not what that's about. But it's for your advantage that we confront one another for your growth in the Lord your growth in his grace to neglect to care for you in such a way would be of no advantage to you it would be a disservice 
to you. And so where there, there, there shouldn't be blind, simply do anything we say kind of obedience here, there should be trust in the things that we say that are aligned with God's word. To not obey would be of no advantage. Likewise, the people of the church are also called to submit. To submit means to yield. Right? It means a, a, a willing and biblically joyful compliance. Obedience kind of mainly applies to the teaching where submission relates primarily to the pastor's function and role. It's a willing, joyful acknowledgement of the pastor's authority and leadership. God has given us these pastors and I willingly submit to their leadership. It isn't saying that you have to yield control of every minute detail of your life to your pastors. In some churches, that's what they try to manipulate. You know, and here's the thing. When I hear stories from other churches about abusive pastors, those stories can then become sermon illustrations at those pastors' expense. And I won't name names, but, but I, I was in a counseling session a couple years ago with a, a couple, and a pastor had told a husband to not tell his wife that she was pretty because she struggled with vanity. That is an abuse. That is an abuse of pastoral authority. What pastor would tell a husband not to say that to his wife? I have no idea why. It's an abuse. Like we're not called to micromanage your lives, right? Yet scriptures are clear, Christians should not marry unbelievers. And so we see a date in an unbeliever, as you remember here, you're, you're a believer here in this church. We're, we're gonna talk to you. Hey, what are you doing? Right? But you're dating a believer? You're planning to get married? Like, we're not going to micromanage, like, who you can and cannot marry. We're, we're not here to arrange marriages, right? That's not our role. We're here to care for souls. We're not going to tell you what job you can and you cannot take. We're not going to tell you where you can and cannot move. Like, that, we're not called to micromanage your life. Now, you want to approach some of these big decisions in your life, and you want to invite pastors in on it to, like, hey, I, wanna, I would love your perspective. Uh, you know, I'm wrestling through this decision. Absolutely, we'll join you in that. But we're not here to make those decisions for you and micromanage every like minute detail of your life. We're not here to get in between a husband and wife and their marriage. It's sinful, it's awful, it's wicked. Right? Your marriage comes before your allegiance to the church. Because that's part of your allegiance to Christ. Again, if our counsel in those moments when you invite us in, that counsel is out of step with the scripture, then literally don't drink the Kool-Aid, right? Don't. This isn't a blanket submission to everything. Ultimately, we, we are all answerable to Christ for our decisions that we each make and, and answerable to him alone in that. But when it comes to our belonging to the church, we are to submit to the leadership of the elders and the pastors of the church. Right? Members' meetings should not turn into shareholders' meetings because the church isn't a business and, and we're not shareholders. It's Christ. It belongs to Jesus. Right? Absolutely, there'd be questions about things and, and you should question things. But like if our spirit is like a shareholders' meeting, we're missing the mark here. We're missing the mark. If pastors are in sin and their, their leadership of the church um, 
The members should certainly follow the biblical instruction as laid out in Matthew 18, 1 Timothy chapter 5 about confronting pastors in their sin just like you would anyone else. But when they're not in sin, members are to submit to their leadership, to trust them. It doesn't mean that we can't ever disagree with the leadership of the church. We're, we're going to disagree. You're going to disagree. It's going to happen. But there are right ways and wrong ways to disagree with the leadership of the church, right? The biblical way, the helpful way to disagree is when you disagree with something, go to the leaders who you have the disagreement with. Go to them and let them know, hey, I have a concern about this. I don't think this is right. Go directly to them. The, the not biblical way, the unhelpful way to do that is to go to a bunch of other people in the church and establish a coalition first. Get a bunch of allies, a faction on your side to then have your back, to know you have the support to when you go and confront the leaders about what you don't like about it, you, you know you got, a, you got an army ready to go to bat for you. That's called divisiveness. That's what that's called. And some of the harshest warnings in Scripture are given to divisive people. Titus 3, 10 and 11. Paul writes to Titus there, he says, As for a person who stirs up division... After warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. That's, that's swift church discipline. Like Church discipline is a process pursuing restoration that, that should take seasons generally. But here's Paul saying, with somebody who stirs up division, you warn him once and you warn him twice and it's done. That's a strong warning. So there's a right way and a wrong way to disagree and, and, and causing factions and stirring up division is not helpful. Go to leaders. If the leaders don't listen to you, you feel like they're sinful and, and, and what they're not doing, then follow Matthew 18 and bring witnesses. Then you bring witnesses. You don't bring the faction first. Handle it biblically. There's a right way to disagree. We need to understand, like, you know, I, I'm not going to show up uh, at the nuclear engineer's job and tell them how to do their job all the time. Like, it's really easy to want to play armchair quarterback watching a football game, but that doesn't make us all Patrick Mahomes on Monday. It doesn't. So, so go to the leadership. Share your concern. Invite discussion and see if there's validity there or not. And if it's not, you know, if it's not responded to rightly, you don't feel like it's right, then follow the steps of Matthew 18. And go forward. Here, I'll give you an example of, of someone without using their name who handled this really well and did this very well. When we were rolling out the uh, community group plan on Wednesday nights, right? Uh, to be honest, we were going to do everything in person on Wednesday and everything or, or online, all on Wednesday. There were probably some responses that were not very helpful uh, or biblical, uh, but but there was one member of the church who, who did reach out directly to the, the elders of the church and, and, and shared a fair critique, shared from their heart. Here's what I've been experiencing and, and what I love about community group life for me right now. And, and, and if this plan goes forward, I'm afraid I'm going to lose that. And it was a fair critique. And you know what we did? We listened to it and we adjusted our plan. We adjusted that's the right way to handle it. You know, to, to, to go directly and, and work through it. 
where pastors are, are caring for souls and in line with God's word, the people of the church are to obey and submit to their leadership and to show honor and care for their pastors, right? This is going to get a little awkward, but this is what scripture says. First Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul's telling the church in Thessalonica, respect your leaders, love them, honor them because they're, they're working for you. They're, they're laboring for you, caring for your souls. Likewise, Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Right? It's a call to specifically honor pastors who, who are the primary teaching pastors of the church. All the, all the leaders who rule well are worthy of honor. Those who labor in preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. Double honor. They rule poorly. They rule abusively, manipulatively not worthy of any honor. But if they rule well, show them honor. I'm not saying this for some like weird hidden agenda, but I know that many of you sitting in here are, are gonna end up in other churches, right? There's such a transience to our community here. People are in Bloomington for a few years and then gone. You're gonna be in other churches. You're gonna have other pastors. I'm not gonna be the pastor here forever, right? There's an expiration date on me. I don't know when it is, but there will be one, right? And, and I want you to, to, to know and, and to understand how to relate in those settings. Right? We, have, we have several pastors now to care for, to, to love and to honor. Pastor, pastoral ministry is tough. Right? The joke's always that, like, hey, pastors only work on Sundays, right? They only work on Sundays. But here's the thing, folks. All the lead pastors who are my friends that I know generally work six days a week. And I know many of you work six more days a week or more in your jobs too. I'm just saying it's, it's tough. It's tough as well. Folks are laboring hard. Pastoral ministry does not happen on a clock like nine to five, Monday through Friday or whatever. It's all the time. It doesn't shut down. Pastors are called to care for souls and give their lives toward that end. And members are called to obey, to trust, and to submit to their leadership so long as it is aligned with God's word that pastors might do their work joyfully, not begrudgingly, not groaning, because that wouldn't be of no advantage to you, and that members might have the advantage of having joyful leaders, pointing them to the joy that is available to them in Christ. And ultimately, this is really all about pursuing joy together. How might we do this? Well, in the closing greetings of, of this book of Hebrews, we get some very obvious hints. The preacher in verse 18, he asked the church to pray for the pastors like him. And then in verses 20 and 21, you know what he does? He prays for the church. He prays for the church. So how might we pursue joy together? You can pray for your pastors. We would covet your prayers. We need your prayers. This, this is a tough gig some days. Pray that we would find our satisfaction and joy in Christ alone. Pray that we would care for you from a place of abiding in Christ and resting in him ourselves. Pray that we would serve you from a place of considering how Christ has given himself for us. Pray for our marriages. That God would sustain us, that he would protect us from temptation and evil. Pray for our children. I would covet your prayers for my kids. 
for their souls. Pray for them. Pray for Kyle's boys and, and Jesse's family. Chad, pray for us. We deal with all the same struggles that you all deal with in marriage and family too. Pray for us. Pray that his grace for us would enable us and empower us to serve faithfully and joyfully. And as pastors, we will continue to pray for you. We will pray for you. That you would find your joy and satisfaction in Christ alone. That he would be your chief shepherd and that he would be the true senior pastor of this church. And that you would press into his all-sufficient care and grace for you and find rest for your weary souls. We'll pray for your, your marriages and your kids and, and your lives and your jobs and all that God has placed on your shoulders that you struggle with day in and day out. We'll pray for you. We'll, we'll walk side by side with you and pray with you for those things. And pray that God would equip you with everything good so that you might do his will and live for his glory. In the end, it's the gospel that empowers and motivates both pastors and members in the church. Right, pastors look to Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. Look to Jesus for the sustaining grace that we need to faithfully serve and lead Christ's church as Jesus' under-shepherds. And members look to Jesus as well, who also submitted as he prayed in that garden the night before his crucifixion. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let his submission and his obedience, even to the point of dying for your sins in your place, enable and empower yours as well. And together, let us pursue and point one another to the joy that we can only find in him in knowing and resting in the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your uh, faithful love. Uh, we thank you for sending your son to live and die and be raised for us. And Jesus, help us to see your selfless service that we may be able to serve you selflessly. Help us to see your joyful submission that we might be able to submit joyfully. Holy Spirit, help us to pray for one another and press into the joy that is available to us only in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.